Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 126. John and Wendy talk to Heather Kinsey. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you tonight, John? Wendy, I am well. And believe it or not, end of the month, almost, time for another chat. (laughs) Constant. That's a constant now. But it gives us something to talk about before every show. So we can't complain too much. First off, we want to thank everybody that took part in the chat. As we record this, we just had our chat about small business mm-hmm. with Christy Engler, Fast and Furious. It was amazing. Really yeah. appreciate everybody taking part there. We have a big get for this next one. <laughs> it, and for those of you that haven't read the book yet, you might want to go try to do it in the next day or two. We're talking HR Rising with our pal Steve yes. Brown. He, his second book has come out. It was fantastic. It was a great book. Um, I need to read it again. Um, it's been a little while um, since we got that sneak peek. But it'll be good to get into it and uh, come up with some things to talk about. By the time you're listening to this, we've already come up with exactly what we're going to talk about. But I'm excited. He's got some great ideas in there. So I think it'll be a good talk. He always brings a crowd. He does. We appreciate that. But we do. We, we appreciate Steve. And we also want to thank... This episode is being sponsored by our friends at Talent Magnet Institute. Yes. They are actually going to be doing another book giveaway during that chat as well. They were kind enough to do an offering oh. for the small business chat. So for Steve's HR Rising chat, Talent Magnet will be giving away books. And the way that works is after the chat is over, we'll pull all the folks that took part during the hour. So you have to take part in the chat while it's mm-hmm. happening in real time. But we'll pull all the names. They'll do it. We'll do a drawing and then they'll send you a link to get a free book. So yes, thank you, Mike and and the talent magnet team. Looking forward to it. Yeah, that'd be great. A lot of fun. Wendy, I think this is about as geographically distant as we've gotten. This is our second guest from Alaska (laughs) now. And I can't believe it's taken us this long to get Heather here. I agree. And I, I remember meeting her, gosh, like, I don't know. Sherm DC, probably it's, it's been a while or Sherm Chicago. I don't know. It was a while ago. It's been too long. I'm glad she's here. I'm gonna let you make the introduction. We will get started. Awesome. So excited to welcome Heather Kinsey to the show tonight. Uh, Heather got her first HR job in 1993 and truth be told, she hated it. She spent 40 to 50 hours a week performing illogical and worthless tasks that did nothing to help the workforce or management create meaningful, engaging value added work. When she had had enough, she went looking for the big boss to quit, only to be challenged and subsequently empowered to make a difference. Heather has been committed to making a positive difference ever since. She has worked in nearly every HR discipline for a variety of industries. To date, her favorite job was the two and a half years she spent as a labor relations advocate representing management in grievance arbitration, mediation, and contract negotiations. Circumstances eventually led Heather to consulting, and she hung out her shingle in 2006. Consulting helped her broaden her expertise, and she found herself quite excited about organizational design and development, strategic planning, and business performance. Human resources, of course, has always been the tapestry that makes Heather's pragmatic counsel unique. She is currently a partner and chief operating officer of the Strive Group, a full services consulting firm in Anchorage, Alaska. Well, Heather, welcome to the show. We are super excited to have you here. Our first question is what's in your glass? Ah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's always an honor to um, have anybody, you know, actually be interested in what I have to say. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's a good day. Happy, happy day to everybody. 
So um, I don't have a glass this this afternoon. Keep in mind, it's still a work day for us. So it's sure. four o'clock and I usually don't leave until about six. But um, my son gave me a present when I took him. I picked him up from his um, dad's house to take him to my house so he could mow my lawn because that's what boys should do. And he presented me with a gift of a cold Diet Coke. So it's in a can, which kind of makes me sad because I, I like fountain sodas, but that was the best he could do. And it was a wonderful gesture. So that's in my can. <laughs> nice. We haven't heard Diet Coke in a while. Oh, wow. You yeah. and Jennifer McClure. Yeah, and, right and that, yeah, Lorena Pavon and who else, Wendy? We have three or four big Diet Coke fans. Yeah, there's a few out like, there. Yes, I, I poison myself often with diet beverages, but they're just so tasty. I can't help it. <laughs> Heather, we heard in your bio that you got into this wonderful world of HR and weren't so sure about it. How exactly did you get that start? It was circumstance, John. When I was in college, my senior year in college, I was told I had a I was on a track for broadcast journalism and I was really excited about that new career that I was going to undoubtedly just be incredibly successful in. When I was told my senior year that I had a face for journalism and, or for radio, I had a face for radio. I was uh, offended and hurt and worried and already had multiple issues going on in my brain. So I, um, I quickly pivoted to pre-law because I still had time and, and I had taken a lot of classes that were similar, you know, research, credibility, all of that was very, very similar and it would have put me on a track to pre-law but then like money ran out, you know, I, I only had so much more money to, to get me through. I wouldn't have graduated on time and I would have had to come up with more money. And so I salvaged a degree with all of my credits in um, adult learning. So communications, adult learning. That led me to a job at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Maryland teaching um, a variety of classes. And then when I moved to Alaska, the only way to continue teaching for the organization that I was going to work for was to, because teaching was a part of human resources, professional development was a part of human resources. And the only way to do that was to start at the beginning because it was government and you don't get to go in at a professional level without paying your dues. And so I took a job as a personnel assistant when I was 23 years old and um, worked my way up from there. So Heather, you have been in Alaska since 1993. So what are some of the challenges you face practicing HR in Alaska? Well, I think that they've evolved. When I first moved up here, I realized that isolation was causing problems. So, you know, obviously isolation causes recruitment problems. It causes retention problems. Once I left um, state government and I kind of went to different or real HR, as I used to call it. I'm, I'm not dissing on any government employees, but just a huge paradigm shift going from government to non-government. I realized that isolation causes all sorts of problems, everything from professional isolation, so the lack of professional network. You end up with this myopic view of your industry because you don't have neighbors to compete with. You don't have neighbors to learn from. And so that isolation created that. I also quickly realized it was probably midway 1993 when I also realized that the good old boy network was strong. You know, it was it was something I had never quite been exposed to as a, as a young adult. 
I had been exposed to, you know, ageism is issues and I'd even been exposed in Baltimore. And, and um, when I lived overseas, some sort of racial tension in the workplace or whatever, but I had never been exposed to the gender bias and the good old boy network that I found alive and well in Alaska. And, and that's gotten so much better. I'm, I'm so proud to look back of what happened in 1993 versus what's happening in 2020, but it has been a slow haul. Um, but I think the biggest challenge is the just the myopic view of our world up here. We have traditionally used our isolation as an excuse to be different. And anytime you excuse yourself, you know, like we're different, that means you don't have to pay attention to the experts. You don't have to pay attention to the what the trends are 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 telling, you know, most logical and reasonable people because you always have that opinion, that initial thought in your head, well, we're different, right? And so cognitive dissonance becomes an issue because we just are really unable to see the facts and the reality of the situation because we've already convinced ourselves we have a really good reason of not paying attention to them, which is unfortunate in human resources. And, and I think I see that as a small business owner and as a consultant more than I saw it when I was doing operational HR because I was in the middle of it. I was in the middle of that myopic nearsightedness and I was making all the excuses that, you know, my little kingdom was unique and different. And it was really only after I started traveling in the lower 48, to be honest, I'm not proud of this, much later in my career that I realized that oh, wow, <laughs> that's what government contracting looks like, or that's what healthcare should look like, or that's what, you know, industry like manufacturing, that's what they go through because we don't have manufacturing up here. So I was very, very ignorant about it. And I think that that poses a challenge to human resources professionals, as well as the workforce in general, and certainly business leaders in general. I think we see our own little space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a you know, somewhat isolated as well. And you forget that there's everyone else kind of has some of that feeling as well. So trying to turn that around and help people see, hey, we're all going through similar Mm -hmm. things here. Slightly different, but making, trying to get out of that excuse. When I was a HR director for a healthcare system here in town, I became exposed to the Baldrige criteria. So my organization was on the journey to be recognized as a Baldrige award recipient. And that's a long process. And and soon after that, I, I joined um, the board for our state program and I became an examiner for our state program. And it really forced me to look outside, you know, to look at if I was examining, for instance, a school district, as an example, um, then it forced me to look outside to, you know, South Dakota school districts or, you know, a school district in inner city Atlanta or something like that to see how they approach things like vision and mission and leadership and critical evaluation of their data and processes. And it was the biggest eye-opening thing for me. And, And I'm so glad that I did that because it helped me become a better consultant because I would have been a pretty narrow-minded, as my business partner likes to say, like an inch wide and a mile deep. That would have been me. But because of the circumstances that I was in in my career, it really forced me to look left and look right. Heather, I've not had a chance to talk to anybody up your way during this whole COVID pandemic crisis that we've had. And what has been your experience there? And then from an HR perspective, And with your experience, what do you see as being some of the big issues that practitioners are going to really be dealing with post-pandemic? 
Uh, is there going to be a post-pandemic? I, I think we're still like... Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> Cautiously optimistic. How about that? Yeah, yeah, I see that. I, I, I hear that technically. Okay. There was technically two questions in there. So let me quickly address the first one. I, I think Anchorage in Alaska in general is, is probably pretty similar to any um, place of our size in the lower 48. You know, we've got our deniers, we've got our hoaxers, we've got our, you know, overly worried people, just like everybody. I think in the beginning, we thought it wouldn't come to us. You know, it's fairly easy to close Alaska's border. And um, when the pandemic first sort of took off, even though Seattle as a first hotspot, you know, is a hop, skip and a jump from here. And it's really our first, it's our flight out, right? To get to Alaska, you're generally going through Seattle we shut down our borders, so to speak, and not literally shut them down. But, you know, it was it was pretty difficult to hop on a plane and, and head to Alaska. And and um, we've got so many rural communities that would be decimated if a pandemic such as COVID hit them. And for a while there, John, we were doing so good. And so many of our small communities, no road system, you're right, you can only fly in unless there's ice roads or unless the um, tundra is such that you can get out on a snow machine or something like that. And we were so good until about a week and a half to two weeks ago. And we have a couple of clients in small itsy bitsy communities and they've got their first cases. And it's just very sad. There's no, you know, there's no acute care in these places. You know, there's a, there's a little health clinic that operates when someone needs it but there's no ventilators out there. There's no, you know, trauma team ready to help. It'll it'll be devastating if um, it continues to get worse. And unfortunately, for the last three days, we've had record numbers of high. We're a little worried, but that notwithstanding, your, the true crux of your question for this podcast clearly is about HR. And so I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. I think right now, because I I'm not as optimistic as you, not to say that I don't want to be, but right now I am in pandemic. And and I think right now what is important for HR is to model things like optimism, positivity, try to model and mentor resilience, look at how, how to do work in different ways to, you know, almost give a little bit of hope to their employees and their, you know, their workforce, their managers and employees alike to let them know that, you know, okay, well, things change, but it doesn't mean we can't, you know, mind the gap and and find a different way to do something or um, different talent to do it. You know, I think that we're so used to, I don't know, you know, what is that saying? You know, do more with less and change management and we're influencers and, and all that stuff. And that's all well and good. But I think right now we need to we need to prove it. We need to put our money where our mouth is and show managers how they can still get the same amount of work done or still provide the service or still, you know, develop the product, whatever the case may be, but in a creative way. And I think now is the time to convince our managers that they can't do it in a vacuum, that their workforce, whether they knew it or not, was ready to be innovative and creative and they were ready to have their opinions asked of them. And if not now, when? You know, I mean, if, if, if a global pandemic and, you know, racism uh, unrest throughout the entire country and um, a divide throughout the entire country, if, if now is not the time to connect with your employees and, and hear their ideas and their concerns and their hopes and their dreams, but I don't think you ever would. I think that's HR's role is to, is to encourage both managers and employees alike 
to connect with each other on a personal level, to, you know, ideate, to problem solve, and to create a better economy, whether it is with a nonprofit or a manufacturing plant or a natural resource team. Let's get through this by proving that we've got a brain in our heads and passion in our heart. I appreciate you sharing that. And you sound like you kind of where I was in May <laughs> in terms of just in, really where our, in Virginia in particular, our numbers really started going up then. And mm-hmm. we were direct, I was directly affected with a lot of employees being diagnosed. So I, I fully understand. But I appreciate that perspective, though, too, that it's just now there, but it's real. In other words, you can be secluded all you want, but as we keep saying, we're fighting an, an invisible enemy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, doesn't matter who, who you are, where you are, it may get to you. And I, and I think, you know, and, and I'd like to think that I can look ahead, you know, two, three, five hundred steps, whatever. But I do think that when all is said and done, America's workforce is just going to look different. And, you know, whether it's innovations in our leave policies or in healthcare or in, you know, how work is conducted, you know, maybe maybe we become one big, huge, you know, strategic alliance with people really capitalizing on their talents and organizations capitalizing on their talents and then divesting where they didn't get it. And maybe these strategic alliances come up or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm right here, you know, dealing with today, but maybe two months from now, I will have some thoughts. We'll all have learned some things and and to create really, really fluid and adaptive workplaces with everything, not just with the way work is done, but with the way we pay people and with the way we recognize people and with the way we engage their talents. Because I just think that this old way of doing it, I, I think it's ridiculous to think that we're going to go back to that. Well, I hope you're right. I love it. Um, well, Heather, we really kind of know you because you were on the Sherm speaking circuit and out, you know, like you said, traveling the 50 states, coming down and, and um, sharing what you know. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in a speaking career. And then what advice would you give someone who is interested in doing that, but is geographically challenged? <laughs> is, that, is that a nice way of you saying for somebody that's crazy enough to move to Alaska? I get it. <laughs> I would say um, the way, well, it, it was, it wasn't a very huge step for me as a transition, you know, because as I said earlier, when I, when my career defaulted to adult learning, I quickly became um, in front of an audience. And even prior to that, I was always in front of an audience. I used to sing professionally. That's how I paid for college. I was always just in comfortable, comfortable with sort of this one, two, three eyes on me thing. So it wasn't a huge step to start doing concurrent sessions for local conferences. You know, they're like, gosh, you know, Heather, you'd be really good at this. So that, that was really easy locally, right? I was here in Anchorage and there were enough conferences and symposiums going around here in our little city that it was, you know, just enough to sort of keep things busy, you know, and keep it interesting. And then, and I can't remember, but someone had asked me if I'd ever considered speaking in the lower 48. And I don't know what the hell I was thinking that day, excuse my language, sorry. But um, I decided to challenge myself and to speak, um, do 50 by 50. At the time I was 42 years old. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll speak in all 50 by 50. Yeah. And that didn't work just so you know. But so that it was a challenge. I had never thought about going outside because it was enough here to sort of keep me busy and keep me interested and stroke my ego, to be honest, you know, just enough. 
but then I had to start elsewhere. And I guess maybe that's a lead in to answering your second question, Wendy, is what advice would you give? And I'd say, don't do what I did. That was ridiculous. I was a sole proprietor and I thought, well, I'll give myself a travel budget and, you know, X amount of dollars and I'll just blow on giving my time away for free. That didn't work out very well because it's really expensive to, as you know, to travel and pay, you know, 250 bucks a night for a hotel and airfare and this and that. And so that was stupid. So I wouldn't do that again, but that's how I did it. And it was very expensive. I did two years of that. It was very expensive. Always gave away my stuff for free. Was never, never happy with it. Always was on the plane home resentful, which is not a good place to be in your head. So I wouldn't give that advice. Nowadays, I think it's different, not only not to mention the fact that we're all virtual conferences. So it really evens the playing field. But I think nowadays with technology, you know, whether it's podcasts or video blogging or getting yourself out there, doing a little video clip and sending it to somebody who is putting together some programming and curriculum, you know, because that is not nearly the expense that it is to travel to make up for that geographic distance. I'm pretty sure I would tell somebody, even in a non-COVID relation, you know, um, pandemic right now, I'm pretty sure I would tell them, do it all from a camera. Prove to them that you can engage as a keynote with looking at a lens or prove to them that you've got expertise in your head that is worthy of more than the lens. Do it in a, in a cost-effective way, because other than that, you're going to run the risk like what I did. And I just simply ran out of money. And then I had to hustle. I didn't like doing that either because I'm no good at it. So I just really struggled. I, I, I think I answered your question, but I'm pretty sure I did it in an Oklahoman way. <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think that's good advice because I think, you know, it, people are like, oh, well, I'll just pay my own way. And then eventually people will, will pay me. And that's not absolutely not. No, nope, it's not. And not only that, many people told me, you know, and you, you probably have heard this as well, but you give away your stuff for free and that's what it's worth. I think I was just so desperate to prove myself that I was willing to put my own skin in the game, so to speak. But in the long run, that did not serve me well. And thankfully, I had enough expertise and, and, I'm, and I'm pretty good at it that enough people reached out to me as a, as a paid speaker. And I'm very, very appreciative of the people that did that, even though they knew that where they just met me, I did that for free. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hello, HR community. This is Mike Sippel, your host of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. It's a pleasure to be sponsoring this week's episode with Heather Kinsey and John and Wendy on the HR Social Hour Half Hour podcast. Uh, we want to thank you all for leading wealth, leading boldly, leading courageously in a time like today. I'm excited to see everyone who tunes in at this coming week's HR Twitter chat, HR Social Hour Twitter chat at 7 p.m. on Sunday with the legend Steve Brown. Those who participate, we're going to be doing a book giveaway for Steve's most recent bestseller. So make sure you tune in and engage. We'll do a random drawing after the Twitter chat. For those who are interested, we have a free downloadable for you at talentmagnetinstitute.com backslash boss. Talentmagnetinstitute.com backslash boss. 30 minutes to be a better boss. 
Without further ado, I'm going to turn it back over to John and Wendy and enjoy the rest of your episode. All right. And we are back. Heather, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, which is the half hour question connection. First question, what career did you dream of having when you were a child? Well, I, Wendy, was going to be a rock star. I was going to be on the big stage and I was going to do world tours and like little girls were going to dress up like me. And that's what was going to happen. I was well on my way, I might add. So I was, I was, uh, I went to high school in Germany and I, my first two years of college, I was overseas as well. And um, as I said earlier, I paid my way through, um, to, through college with being a professional singer. So rock bands cover stuff. I was in a jazz band. It, it doesn't pay. That's not a paid gig. So, you know, <laughs> I would, I would drink away any amount of revenue that, that I, um, that I received. So it was never going to pay the bills. And then thankfully, I say this in jest, but thankfully I had a rude awakening because I had polyps and two surgeries later. And I kind of sounded like Frogger on the little rascals for about a year. I realized that I was never going to make um, a career out of singing. And so I started paying attention more to my schoolwork. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, I was going to be a rock star. Yes. You still may have people dress up like you. <laughs> yeah, I don't you know. never know. You I, never know. I don't know about that. Next conference we see you at, we'll be a bunch of us in the that would, that would That would be <laughs> awesome. Let's do that. So, you know, and I still sing. I, Heather World Heather Tour. Heather World Tour. That's what I need. I need Heather World Tour. I still sing. Yep. I just, um, and I, and I still sometimes get paid for it, but, um, but it's not at the rock star status that I had always dreamed of, but that's okay. Heather, who's one person you've gained in your network in the last year that you think more people should know? You know, it's not an HR person, but I don't think that that matters. It is someone, I just actually just met her recently and her name is Moira Smith. And she started this thing, a Facebook page, actually, which is how I stumbled across her. And I reached out to her because I wanted her to write for our magazine. So we publish a quarterly magazine called Strive. And I haven't gotten off a phone call and felt so enlightened and so positive and so hopeful than I did when I got off the phone with Moira So she has this philosophy that all of the world's problems, and I'm exaggerating clearly, but can be solved if we simply go back to need and surplus, right? So is there a need? Let's look to see where there may be surplus. And so COVID gave her the opportunity to really explore this need. And so, you know, whether it was matching up children with elderly right? Because they had nothing to do because school was canceled and elderly didn't have anybody to, you know, help them and and connect with them and all of that. So it started with that. But it's everything. It's everything from sort of that social service that, you know, interpersonal type stuff to, you know, school supplies or toilet paper or something like that. But she started this sort of connectivity page, calls it the coronavirus days of caring or something like that. And so every day she posts something that's inspirational or something positive. She just believes that we can make a difference. And I would encourage anybody listening to just, you know, Google her. So she's local. She's an Anchorage person. She's an attorney. But she is so positive, and I don't have enough of that, to be honest. Um, I don't generate enough of it. I'm not proud of that, but I don't generate enough of it. And I don't 
I don't surround myself with enough of that positive energy and hopefulness. That's my recommendation. Moira Smith. I love it. What is one piece of advice you would give to someone who is new to HR? Well, it's not get out while you can. As much as I, <laughs> as much as people think I'm a cynic, I'm not. I would say the advice to someone new to HR is actually maybe a step back. I would tell them to find an organization that they can believe in, right? It's really hard, in my opinion, to be a really passionate, value-added human resources professional if you don't believe in the organization's vision. And so I would kind of step back and not look at the functional area and instead step back and look at the organization. And if you can really believe in that organization, then you will be a fantastic HR professional because every single decision, whether you're in recruitment or benefits or employee relations or data management or stuff like that, every single decision, if you align that with that organization's vision, and, and you really commit to it, then you can't go wrong, right? You will be a valuable HR professional. But if you have a disconnect with that, then I think you're always just going through the motions. And I think that does our career a disservice. Heather, how do you enjoy giving back to the HR community or community at large? Well, I can answer with HR community. I, um, I, my career kind of evolved away from operational HR or, or the siloed HR type stuff, but I didn't want to lose that connection because as my bio suggested, it's kind of the foundation or the tapestry that makes my consulting unique. And so I just couldn't get away from it. And so I continued my volunteer efforts with my local SHRM chapter. I continued preparing HR professionals for their certification exams. So I started that program, gosh, 16, 17 years ago for our local chapter, somewhere around there. And, you know, I guilted a lot of people to volunteer and help me produce that programming and, and all of that learning and, and testing of people. Um, we call it boot camp, where we kind of put them through the motions so they can not be afraid right? When the, when the exam comes. And, and so now we have all these volunteers, but I'm still really, really active in it. I just can't seem to separate from that because it's a really good tether, right? And not only that, but it gets me immediately involved to mentor an emerging HR workforce. Whereas if I were to step away from that, it would only be by chance that I could mentor and be mentored, by younger people. Um, and I, and I say that in all honesty, and I, and I did mean to mention their age, but as a 50 year old professional, I know that I am near obsolescence. You know, my, my mind is pretty set, you know, my paradigms are well established. And when I meet a 22 year old or a 26 year old brand spanking new HR professional, and he or she is questioning me, um, or offering their ideas, that is the best possible thing for my brain. So they mentor me as much as I mentor them. Heather, what's your favorite movie? My go-to movie is either Radio or Dodgeball. Radio with uh, Ed Harris oh. and Cuba Gooding Jr. And of course, Dodgeball with Vince Vaughn. But my thing that I find myself in when, you know, in times of trouble, I won't sing Simon and Garfunkel to you, but when I feel like I need... <laughs> to crawl within myself. I also have a favorite. It's like a mini series. It's Lonesome Dove. I don't know if you've ever seen it with Robert Duvall oh, and Tommy Lee Jones. So good. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but it's not really a movie. It's a mini series. I think PBS first put it yeah. out years ago, but that's kind of my, 
when I really need to get grounded. That movie reminds me, that series reminds me a lot of my mother and, and I pull a lot of my inspiration from my mom. And so that's kind of my go-to, but radio and dodgeball are always good. I have not thought of Lonesome Dove in a long time. My husband introduced me to it. It's one of my um, father-in-law's favorite yeah. shows. He had all of those books too. Yeah. Larry McMurdy. Is it Larry McMurdy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to be curious about this one, particularly with your background. How about your favorite musician or band? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot. But my favorite, my go-to person is Alison Krauss. I, um, there's just something about her lyrics and about the way she approaches music and her voice. It's just very calming to me. I have a slight tendency to be a bit manic. I unnerve myself and others. And Alison Krauss, I find to be very calming and um, you know, I know all of her songs by heart. You know, I just sort of sing along subconsciously. So she was, I would say she's definitely my favorite. But I have a lot, you know, it kind of depends on my mood. As I'm sure you and Wendy, you know, it depends on your mood. Love Alison Krauss. Oh, you're, you're bringing up all these good things that I need to like call out. <laughs> well, there we go. Listen to Alison on the, right, on the way to work there, tomorrow. There we go. Sure. There we go. Okay, challenge. What what TV show am I going to be watching next? No, <laughs> what's your the favorite TV, TV show? show? Well, I, you know, and I unplugged. I unplugged from um, traditional oh. TV years and years and years ago. So I don't really watch traditional TV. I but I Netflix and I you know Hulu and I have Prime and all of that. I would say you know going way back, um, I still have Seinfeld on DVD. Every single Seinfeld episode on DVD, and uh, it was it was always fun. I introduced my daughter to it. My kids are nine years apart. So I introduced my daughter to Seinfeld when it was appropriate to do so. And I watched them all over again and she just loved it. And now she makes her little Seinfeld references and I'm so proud. And then I have a 13 year old, nine years, of co- nine years later, of course, I, I had Andrew. And, and so now he's being introduced to Seinfeld and he's, you know, doing his own thing with it. And I'm watching it again. So definitely for traditional TV shows, it would definitely be Seinfeld, but on Hulu, or Prime or Netflix or whatever. I would say if I if I want to feel happy, it's Marvelous Miss Maisel. I don't know if you've watched that, but it is so fun. As is Call the Midwife. So just a really really good feel good um, series. If I'm just you know something lighthearted or whatever, I usually will watch something with my kid. You know whether it's the Gotham. He was really into Gotham, which is sort of the story of Bruce Wayne growing up. So stuff like that. But Seinfeld. If we want to go like good old TBS cable. And, you know, it holds up. The, the story is really. It is timeless. Up. Although sometimes some of the stuff that I watch, I'm like, wow, they got away with that in the 80s. You know, because <laughs> right. you realize yeah. I wasn't I wasn't in the stateside in the 80s. I was in I was in Germany. And so I was only watching like Armed Forces Network. So, oh, you know, okay. that's like Brady Bunch reruns and, and Mashed, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And so when I came to um, Baltimore, I moved to Baltimore from Munich and like everybody at school that I went to university in Baltimore, everybody was like, oh, Seinfeld or friends. And I'm like, what? You know, because I didn't, I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> and I didn't watch it then. Actually, I, I grew to love Seinfeld on um, when it was a syndicate, syndication or whatever, after long after it had left primetime. Well, Heather, I want to thank you for mentioning Dodgeball because <laughs> that movie is eminently quotable. My favorite line of the whole movie is, you had me at blood and semen. That movie just kills. Nice. And it's 
so many, so many great one-liners, yeah. but yes. No one I, makes I, me bleed my own blood. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's the best. It's stupid. It's the I best. love it. And I was watching something just lately. Some of the actors were in, it was some, it was not dodgeball. They were in another show and it was funny because I had not seen them in anything much other than that. That, that was was great, but if you're if you're not watching Rodeo or Dodgeball, if you're not listening to Allison Krauss, not watching Seinfeld or some of these shows on the Hulu's and such, what else do you like to do outside of work? Well, I live in the biggest, most awesome state, so let's not forget that. But I will say that it is dependent on the weather. So obviously, in the summertime, like this summer, we have the state to ourselves because there's not a lot of tourism going on. Absolutely, not one cruise ship is entering our waters. You know, we don't have what we usually have, which is an explosion of tourism. And so I am exploring the state, you know, with like youth eyes. It's wonderful. Every weekend we're finding a trail that we haven't done before or a, you know, a little corner on the road system that we haven't seen before. I do like exploring and we are a pretty cool state. We have some pretty spectacular things to see and do. In the wintertime, to be honest, I don't like being that cold. I will ski and I will ice skate, but I'm pretty fair weather about it. So it needs to be between like zero degrees and 20. That's that's okay for me. But when it dips to below zero with wind chills on top of that, I have a tendency to watch a lot of Hulu and Netflix and, <laughs> and Prime. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I don't mind winter sports, you know, skiing and ice skating that can get you through the long winter nights. And they are indeed long. Uh, well, Heather, finally... It is Heather Kinsey Day all around the world. What are we doing to celebrate? It is about time it's Heather Kinsey Day all around the world. You know, I have been waiting and waiting for someone to declare this a global holiday. <laughs> They're eating. They're eating really good food. And I say good food. I don't mean like tasty food, but I mean like really good food. Someone has thought about you know, put some thoughtfulness and some mindfulness about the spread. There's no Doritos and stuff like that. That's not mindful eating. So there's that. But then I think, especially because we're in the middle of a COVID pandemic, that would clearly then be put on hold for Heather Kinsey Day. And so I think we are hugging. I think we are like touching people, not in inappropriate ways, but we are like given like the real hug, you know, where it lingers a bit, you know, not like creepy linger, but just enough to kind of let you know that I love you. I feel you and I'm connecting with you. I think everybody's doing that to celebrate me on my special global holiday day. I love that you are putting COVID on pause. That's my favorite part. Yes. yes. <laughs> COVID on pause and then touching each other. Yes, that is, yes. That is very important love to it. me. Heather, again, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. I don't know why it took us as long to get you here, but I'm so glad we did. And I appreciate you sharing your insights. And even though you are secluded up there, we certainly think about you and we are big, big fans of everything you do. Now, some of our listeners may not know you, have not been connected, but now that they've heard you here, what's the best way for them to reach you out there? Well, clearly, because they can't come up and give me a hug, they're going to just have to go find me on social. So um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and I'm pretty active on Twitter. Or they can go to my business, the Strive Group Facebook page, and they can always get me there. Um, so the strivegroup.com or find me on Twitter, Heather Kinsey, K-I-N-Z-I-E, or on LinkedIn. We will have all that in the show notes. And Wendy, how about you? What's the best way for listeners to find you? 
Best way is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. Daily is D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, the second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter at 7 p.m. Eastern time as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Once again, want to thank Talent Magnet Institute for sponsoring this episode. And as for me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman and for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Rate, review, share, subscribe. That's the best thing you can do is subscribe. We'd appreciate that very, very much. International listeners, we have gifts. Get in touch. We'd love to send you a little token of appreciation from us to you. Heather, again, really appreciate being with us tonight for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.